Good morning, everyone. Just give me a second to get my act together here. I haven't been here in a bit. Um, but it is good to be here together with you and share the word. <clears throat> As we have um, been looking at Galatians, and before we get into today's text, I just want to get right into it. But as a reminder or a review, remember, Galatians was a letter that was sent to the churches of Galatia, and it was sent to a mixed crowd. It was Jews and Gentiles together. And the importance of it is that the message to Galatia was that the church at Galatia was saved by grace alone, faith in Christ alone. And this was the message that was being threatened by Judaizers. Now, what were the Judaizers doing? They were basically saying, hey, yes, I, Paul's got a good message, but here's what you got to do. You got to convert to Judaism first. Follow the Mosaic law. Make sure you're circumcised if you're not. And then that Christ thing will kick in. And remember Paul's response. And we're only a few verses into this uh, uh, first chapter. Paul's response was, by no means. Absolutely by no means. He said there would be a curse on anyone. And he even threw some angels in there. There would be a curse on anyone who would change or alter the gospel. Actually, he said it wouldn't be a gospel. It would be actually, as one commentator said, an opposite gospel, which really doesn't make any sense. But it would be something other than what God had intended. And Paul thought that this was such a serious perversion of the truth of the gospel. And, and I, I want you to get an idea of the gravity of this. If <clears throat> this was modern times, and Paul was able to send out a text, you would be getting a text from Paul in all caps with a red background. It would almost be like the emergency service thing, right? the tornado warning in your area. And it would not only go to the Galatians to let you know what the impact of what's going on here, it would go to churches everywhere. Everybody's phone would ring with this emergency that the gospel is being threatened by we having to work for it. So if you take that in and try to understand that this is why there's an urgency in this letter. Now, when Paul writes this, the Judaizers didn't win yet. In other words, they are now infiltrating the church and they are starting to spread this message. So Paul is coming from a perspective of, okay, we, we got we to nip this in the butt right now. And we are going to nip it in the butt. And today's scripture starts with Paul's testimony. And we're going to see how that ties in. Now, I want you to note something. <clears throat> Paul's testimony is not that unique. 
because it's poor. All right, I just want to take the, the, the higher look at Paul. I want to just kind of bring him down to us because our testimony, if you are a Christian, your testimony is similar to Paul's in a lot of ways, very similar to Paul's because we know that there was a pre-conversion time. There was a point of conversion. And then there was what happened after you were converted. So we kind of share that together with Paul. Now we know that <clears throat> we all had our before phase. I'll call it the before phase, right? Before we knew Christ. And normally what ends up happening is Christians get a little shy. And we really don't want to talk about the before times, right? As a matter of fact, if you, <clears throat> if you ever heard a testimony from uh, churches in the South, the testimony is very general and it usually goes like this. The Lord has brought me from a mighty long way. The translation to that is, I've done a lot of messed up things, and I don't want to get into the details. That's the translation to that. But I will tell you, like you already know, life's in the details. Because it's in the details where we see where Christ actually saved us from. Where did he save us from? What was going on in your life? that Christ got involved, what did he save you from is always going to be the question. And I will tell you this. You know, the Bible says, if you feel like you have a very, you know, people are weird with testimonies, but every testimony counts. Because the Bible says that heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. But we know as Christians that there are some crazy testimonies out there. And actually when I hear a testimony that's like full of like, wow, and man, it really isn't about the person at that point. It testifies of who? It testifies of God. And I, I, I have a few down. One recently I saw, I won't get into all the details, but... He was a Muslim jihadist in the fight making bombs. That was his before time. And at some point, Christ intervened and it changed everything for him. There's another one I'm <clears throat> quite familiar with. Guy was on drugs, living out of his car sold many of the things in his parents' house, would probably sell his mom if he could. And at one point, God intervenes. And the longing and the wanting for drugs was gone. Completely gone. And when we hear testimonies like that, we're like, oh, oh there, 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 there is a God. And he is so great, and there is no place where his reach cannot go. There is no place that stops him. And what is common to every 
testimony is that God interferes. And God precipitates something, an action in our lives. And it causes us to react in such a way that we didn't even expect the reaction. It's an interference that is of such proportion, it is so divine in its nature that our response is something that we would never have thought. It goes beyond us in many ways. So with that, we start and we look at Paul's testimony. And now Paul's testimony is unique because I just named circumstances that were negative, right? People get involved in things, people get into messes, we get, on, we get ourselves into messes, situations and circumstances that are so negative, and God saves us out of them. But if you go by Paul's bio, he says um, that he followed the law better than everyone. He says that he had a zeal for God greater than anyone he knew. So I'm like, how does God save a guy like this? But we'll look more into that and we'll see what it says. Last week, Lee gave us a glimpse of Paul's personal background. And in Philippians, Paul gives his, his, a, little, a little bit of his stock. And he tells us, he says, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Right? He's letting you know, hey, I, I follow the rules, the, good, the rules of a Jew. And he considered himself a person of Israel. He threw in, he, threw, he, he likes to throw in things every now and then. Yo, I'm, I'm part of the original tribe of Benjamin. You guys know the tribe of Benjamin, right? That's the fighting tribe way back when. I'm, I'm part of that. So he throws that in there. He says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he calls himself and he considers himself relative to the law a Pharisee. That's how I see it. It's like someone saying, I identify as a teacher, not a human. I don't identify as a person. I'm a nurse. He sees himself as a Pharisee. That is his personhood. In the book of Acts, Paul tells us another thing. He drops a little bit. So we got his stock, his person, who he is. And then Paul tells us a little bit about his training in the book of Acts. And he mentions, he says, I was strictly trained under Gamaliel. Paul dropping another name. Who's Gamaliel? Gamaliel was one of the most touted and respected teachers of his time. He was reputed. He was, he was one who had known well the Halakha, which was the the Jewish oral law, and he could break that down, and he brought insights to that that put him in a section of teachers of that rank into another rank called the Tana. And it was like, Gamaliel was like this. People looked at him like, oh. And Paul is dropping that name to basically tell us, hey, man, I trained under that guy's feet. That's where I got my training from. That's where I got my chops from. And he actually tells us in our verse, in verse 14, says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So amongst the students, 
that were being trained, I was moving way ahead. Actually, he uses a Greek word called prokopto. This Greek word basically implies that he was chopping through the jungle with a machete. He was trying to get so far ahead in Judaism. He wanted it so bad he would knock away any obstacle so that he could move ahead in Judaism. He says something more. He says, so extremely zealous, which I kind of thought canceled out, right? Like extremely zealous. I thought that was zealous. Anyway, uh, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And the first thing I say is, well, what are the traditions of my fathers? The traditions of the fathers, these were those rabbinic expositions. These were those interpretive perspectives, perspectives on the Torah, right? These were, remember, the law was hidden and the Pharisees and the scribes would kind of define these things and they would make these rules and regulations, right? And we all know there's a 600 plus rules and regulations. They would protect the law. They would put a fence around the law by creating all these rules. And these were those traditions. In order to say that we love the law, the law is sacred, and we don't want to violate the law, we will throw protections around the law. We will protect the law with rules and regs. But here's the thing. We have now elevated our rules and regs above the law. And Jesus checks the Pharisees on this one during his time in his ministry. He confronts... <coughs> The Pharisees in Mark 7, verse 5, he says, and the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, they had rules for everything. Remember that. They had rules not only how you, to wash your hands, but how to wash your hands. And you remember, the Pharisees were always... Ten steps behind, watching how Jesus was carrying himself, watching how his disciples were carrying himself. And now the Pharisees check Jesus and say, hey, we, we notice you, you guys aren't doing what is traditionally correct. And he says this in verse 6, and he said to them, now he goes right to Isaiah, right to a place that they would know full and well, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he keeps going. Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. But Paul had clutched these things with both of his hands. These are the traditions, not to say that he did not love the law, but the, the traditions of his father he held closely. And you say, well, okay, 
what kind of behavior did that produce in Paul? Well, let's take a look. Verse 13. For you have, he's speaking to the Galatian church. For you have heard of my former life in Ju Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. We get a little more insight in this in Acts 26, verse 9 through 11. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I tried to force them so he would antagonize them so that these people would scream, Lord, Jesus, help me. And it furiously enraged, he became furiously enraged at them. And I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So he had the writ in his hand while he was on the horse heading to Damascus, right? And we know what happens there, right? But we're gonna, we'll break that down in a little bit. And this is what Paul and his love for his traditions, and it entrenched in him a sense of righteousness that made him go after everyone from the way. That was the Christians. That's what they were known at at that time. The people of the way. These people who have heard this gospel and it has changed them tremendously. And he thought, in his mind, these folks are blaspheming. I'm going to shut them down. And his zeal for his own traditions grew as much as his zeal to destroy the church grew. Those things kind of grew hand in hand. Now, that was Paul's before life. And like I said, we all have one. Paul has a time of conversion. And that is a beauty to us, because otherwise we'd have to worry about today if he's going to bust in this joint, start locking us up. But anyway, Paul's conversion <clears throat> in Galatians 1.15, we see, and it says this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I'll just pause there as a semicolon. So what do we see about this? Last week, uh, I'm going to borrow from uh, uh, Pastor Lee's message. And Pastor Lee's message, I think, was God does it. Or God did it. I'm going to variate that a little. God does it. And this is what we see here, that God does it, does the whole thing. What does it say? A sovereign God took the initiative, right? Paul said what? In my mother's womb. This is before Paul could be bad or good. God chose him. 
God loved, God decided, God destined, because God is sovereign and God could make decisions just like that. And before his birth, he was set apart for what? The very job he did. The fact that we're reading these epistles tells us Paul listened. Paul did exactly what he was supposed to do. Now, that's not unique, right? We know John the Baptist, the same deal, right? The angel came and visited Zechariah and said, hey, this is how it's going to go down. You guys are going to have a son. Elizabeth has not been able to bear children, but guess what? She will. And God, through the angel, breaks down everything. Before John was even born. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb. This is speaking of Jeremiah now. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. God is sovereign, and he chooses. But God does something else. He calls us. He calls us, and it's by his grace that he calls us. And we see that right built into the verse. Paul was called by the grace of God. Actually, in verse 6, go back. The Galatians were called by the grace of God. You were called by the grace of God. There is a calling that goes out by God to those whom he has elected. A calling that you hear. And what we realize with Paul, as terrible as he was to the church, there was no sinner that God's call cannot reach. Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And when we jump right to verse 16, we see this. It's through God's grace that he called, and it's through God's grace that he pleased to reveal his son to Paul. There's a Greek word when it talks about reveal the son, it means basically take the lid off so you could see Jesus Christ exactly how he is. Is that what happened to you? You saw Jesus Christ? You saw him in a way that you had never seen him before? That God took the lid off so that he would be revealed as he is. So God calls. God reveals, and then there's one that we have to kind of lean on a little because it's about here in this church, in our church, in the church of Jesus Christ. God gives purpose. In other words, he just doesn't call us. He just doesn't reveal himself to us. But when you have taken that all in, there is a purpose. What was Paul's purpose? 
Paul, go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, in no way am I saying that we have been called to go preach to the Gentiles. Everybody got that? Okay, she said, hey, he told us I got to go to the Gentiles. That's why I'm over here. No, not at all. Um, but God does call us, and when he reveals Christ to us, I want you to know that there is a purpose. And if you have parked the car at the revelation of Christ, you have not yet completed the purpose. You are only halfway done. There is a purpose in his calling. And even if it's just so that you could share with your neighbor the testimony of what Christ has done, then there is a purpose. It's not so that I could take my ticket to heaven, crumble it in my back pocket, and save it there until God calls me home. That's not the purpose. We don't see that purpose reflected in Scripture at all. There is a purpose to the calling. There is a purpose to the revelation. But I want to get back. So here we are. The last two verses, which is, Paul is basically saying, now, I want you to understand this. Paul is giving his testimony for a reason. This text began with Pastor Lee's message last week. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel, I'm going from 11, that was preached to me was not man's gospel. Paul is taking the time to say that, hey man, I did not get this from anyone. And now when we get to the bottom of our text today, he's saying, after God revealed himself to me, nobody else spoke to me. I didn't go to Jerusalem where I know James and Peter and John were hanging out, the senior apostles. I didn't go to them. I didn't consult with anyone. I went into the desert, and God continued to teach him there. No one spoke to me. And you say, well, why is that important, Dave? Why is it important that Paul gives us the details to his testimony? Why are the details important here? Why is it that he goes through all of this? Because he's trying to emphasize something that I know we can all identify with if you are a Christian. On some level, you could identify with. He's basically saying, listen to me. I was a certain way. You heard what I was. I was ritualistic. I was legalistic. I was self-righteous. I could not change that. Nobody coming alongside of me could just change it with a message. God could only take that person and turn him 180 degrees in the other direction. He's testifying to the Galatians. Only God could turn a person like me around. Only God could do that. No, this is not, no apologetic. Nobody came along and came with some clear and convincing argument that Jesus is the Christ. He was like, I was past that. He tells them. He says, hey, you remember, you, you remember, you guys, when I met you guys, right, Galatians, I had a rep. I was destroying churches. I would watch people die. I would witness people die because of that gospel. 
And that gospel now has gotten in me. And the things that I thought meant something, my pedigree, remember, in Philippians, my teaching from Gamaliel, none of it means anything. None of it means anything. It has no value. That's why Paul's testimony was important. That's why your testimony is important. And I'm about ready to wrap it up, but I will tell you this. As we consider this passage, I want to again reiterate, we are not apostles. We have not been called to be apostles. And unless you know that you were told to preach to the Gentiles, that's not the calling to preach to the Gentiles. Nor were we supernaturally knocked off a horse. That didn't happen to us. But I want to hold on to that word supernatural because if you say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, and that I follow him, then something supernatural happened to you. Something happened to you. You don't got to know the science behind it. You don't have to know how to break it down because none of us do. That grace interfered, that God allowed his grace to interfere in someone who was his enemy. We always say grace, right? Grace is, is the favor of God, right, to the sinner, that the, the sinner who doesn't deserve it. And the problem with those, those definitions is we have no idea how much we don't deserve it, and we have no idea how much favor God has for us. Those two things we never really reconcile. We just don't get it. But I want you to see that despite the horse, despite the calling, we do share similarities of the effects of grace. And I'm going to tell you right now that you were called by God's sovereign grace, by his will, that through that same will of God, he has revealed Christ to you. And the other part, we have to know what it is. What is that purpose? But it is clear, and I think if you're just kind of sitting around wondering, I'm not sure what it is, you better commit yourself to finding out that purpose. I'm going to leave you with this, and I'll call the, the worship team if... You guys want to make your way up? In 1 Corinthians 15, 8, <clears throat> Paul says this, and it basically describes what we've had. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born. Basically, he's speaking that my timing didn't match up with the rest of the apostles, but it didn't matter, did it? He said, he, meaning Jesus, appeared also to me. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. A position that we should consider, right? The least of the apostles. I am unworthy, he says, to be even called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Listen to this, verse 10. 
but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And here's the part, here's the rub. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Let that be our call. If you sense Jesus Christ has touched you, has changed you, let it not be in vain. And I would ask you that you would knock on that door and say, Lord, what it is that this purpose. I will tell you that there's going to be some proclaiming in your purpose. There will be some telling in your purpose. There will be some sharing in your purpose of what the glories of God has done in your life. Let it be so. Close with some prayer. Father, it is uh, to you we give thanks because we know um, we are the undeserved ones, but yet by your grace you have called us By your grace, you have revealed the Christ to us, the one who died for all of our sins, the one who forgives. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for such grace. I ask that you would take us now, Lord, and I say quicken. Quicken salvation in us, Lord. Let our testimony not be some old hat hanging on a hat rack. But let it display the living Christ to all we know and to all we see. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.